we're talking about um, the real solution. And I want to continue because last week we started talking about this, this topic of the beginning of the new year. And if you remember what I said was that it, what's interesting is at the beginning of a new year, people feel as if something's going to change. This is a brand new start and there's this, this, this brand new year to be had. But remember we said there's, there's a problem with that is that that beginning of the year, it really doesn't change anything, does it? Simply going from, you know, from December 31st to, to January 1st, it doesn't change anything about, uh, about our circumstances. I said last year, it, the year change won't make you a new person, it won't change your habits, it won't take away your temptations, and it won't change your problems. Unfortunately, that brand new year that we, we love to say, it's a new year, but th- the problem is, is it doesn't change those things being a new year. Betting on the new year to change your circumstances is betting on the wrong horse. It's like betting on the weak horse in the back of the pack and expecting it to carry through and, and win you the race. It just doesn't happen. We talked also about the fact that many people make these New Year's resolutions, and if you remember this very dismal survey, it said that about 78% of people who make New Year's resolutions fail to ever complete them. Kind of sad, right? We talked about, would, is it possible there's a better plan? than these New Year's resolutions and this belief that this new year can start different. Is there a better plan for the situation? This morning, I want to talk to you specifically about one of those top 10 things. Last, last week, I gave you the top 10 things people want to change. You can go back and click on it online. If you guys didn't know, you can always go back and you can watch messages that you've missed. We actually video cast them on our website. So if you guys um, want to catch back up, also you guys who are going off to college, if you guys ever want to check out a uh, video of what we're doing, you want to stay current, they're really cool. So you can watch the video, watch the audio. Um, it's usually up by midweek or by the end of the week, that week after. So you can always stay current with what we're doing as long as you're tech savvy. Not too bad. But I want to talk to you about one main thing. It's really kind of two of them that were on there. But it's this. Get out of debt and be more generous. Get out of debt is a specific one. Being more generous is also a common one that's in there. Basically, though, what it boils down to is taking control of your finances. This is one of the main things people always want to do at the beginning of a new year. I am included in that at the beginning of this year. Many people are going to make these resolutions to get out of debt, to change their spending habits, to begin to be uh, generous. But the problem comes back, if it was just that easy, then why haven't we already done it? If it's just as easy as deciding to change, then why hasn't it already happened? If you're looking for your finances to change this year, I want to offer you this, to ditch the resolution and instead subscribe to a real solution, as I talked about last week. Remember our definitions. Kind of track back with me real quick. Uh, if you guys were here last week, this is a, a, you know, a reference back to it. But if not, it's something new for you. A resolution is trying to work hard and figure, figure out a way to become better. Basically, it's all about you, about determining how I can be better, what I can do better. But a real solution is including God in the situation. It's inviting God to be in the situation and help change it. Um, and basically working with him to make that whole situation better. If you remember right, I shared this verse with you uh, last week. It's Romans 8, 4. And I read it to you out of the message, and it basically says this, And now what the law code asked for but we could not deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. It's this idea of, of basically not continuing to just try to do better, do better, do better but instead letting God have control of the circumstances. And I said, I want to apply this verse to how we look at these real solutions. Money can be a tough subject, though, can it? So I want to start with a joke. 
because it might make you feel better. How about that? There's this kid, okay, and he really wants $100 for a new bike. So he writes God. He writes a letter to God, writes out a note, I would really love $100 for a new bike. I need it. I mean, I need to keep up with my friends. He lists this whole thing about what it is, and I really need $100. So he sends it off. Post office gets it, doesn't know what to do with it. So they figure, well, I mean, I guess in our American culture, the closest person that we could think of would be to send it to the president. So they send it to the president. president gets it, opens it up, and of course he thinks, well, this is very, very cute. It's awesome, this kid, he wants to write God. So what he does is he tells his, his secretary of state or whatever like that, you know, send the, guy, send the kid back $5, and, and that'll be something for him to start with at least. So he gets this letter back. It's from God, a $5 bill inside. So the kid decides, I'm going to write a thank you letter to God. So he writes another letter, addresses it to God, and he says, God, I want to thank you so much for sending me money to help with the bike, but I noticed that you sent it through Washington, D.C., and they took $95, the 100 that you gave to me. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny when I saw it, too, because some of us can attest to that sometimes when we pay taxes. You're thinking, wow, I thought I had this money, and apparently not anymore. But I wanted to share that joke with you just to lighten the mood because finance can be a heavy topic. But uh, what I want to say is this, is I, I really wish I didn't have to talk about it because people really are scared when you start talking about finances. But the reality is Jesus talked about it. And we base everything off of, off of what Jesus did. And Jesus talked about our finances, what, what we have financially here on earth. Um, I do want to say this to you. If this is your first time here, I'm sorry. If this is your second time here, I'm sorry. Because we don't talk about finance a ton. We talk about it in balance with everything else over our year. But we're not one of those churches that every week are telling you guys come up here and say, you guys need to be giving money or something crazy like that. The first time we talked about finances since the beginning of the church. But I do want to say to you that if it's your first time, please don't feel this is what we do every week because it's not. We balance this in with everything else that we teach. Perhaps the biggest thing people want to see change this next year when it comes to their finances is the big D word. You know what that D word is? Debt. It's a scary, nasty word, isn't it? Debt. It is a four-letter word. Thank you. But there's, there's, there's so much of it, and really, th- this situation, when we start talking about debt, there's this interesting verse in, in, in Proverbs, actually, 22.7. You guys can follow, or you can just, I'll, I'll read some of these to you. I do want to have you read with me on one of these, but um, on 22.7, it says, the poor are always ruled over by the rich, so don't borrow and put yourself under their power. I think that's really good. It says, basically, man, the rich, man, they always get richer, and they just rule over the people who have to ask them for money. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when you're involved with debt, it can feel like you're a prisoner. Like someone has you captive because anything that you want to do constantly in the back of your mind is this debt that you owe. And you feel like you're chained. Like you couldn't just, you, you, there used to be freedom because I could have just done whatever I wanted, but now there's a house and there's a car and there's credit cards and there's all these things and I feel chained down to where I am. I want to say this, if you're in this situation, um, a benefit to you, I guess, if it's any, if it makes you feel any better. You're not in it alone, actually. Uh, a broad majority of people uh, have debt. About half of the U.S. population is carrying credit card debt at this time, almost half. Um, people always say the whole, the average household is $8,000. It's actually a slightly skewed um, uh, thing if you actually look into it because what it is is it's offset by people who have tremendous amounts of debt. And little, but about 10%, a little less than 10%, have $8,000 or more on credit card debt. Ouch, right? 
But I do want to give you this bright note on top of this. And this is what I want you, if you, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 19. You can flip there. And it's a cool story that you can mark, even if, even if you don't get to it as I start to read it, but to keep up with it. And there's a story in, in, in Matthew 19 of this rich young man. And I'm only going to read you one little piece of it. Um, but I, I want you to, you can go back and you can read the story. Basically, this rich guy comes to Jesus and he says, man, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, to get to heaven, right? And he says, well, you got to uphold the law and you know all these things. And, and the guy says, well, I've done all those. So Jesus kind of looks at him and you can tell what Jesus is really doing is he's looking in. He's looking at this guy and saying, what is it about you? And what he says to him is, you know, go sell all of your possessions to the poor and then come back and follow me. And this kid can't do it because he's very, very rich. And Jesus pinpointed the one thing that this guy had a problem with, which was finance. So he says, go sell your possessions to the poor, give everything to the poor, and all your wealth will be in heaven. Then come follow me. And says, that was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight um, to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let it go. It says this, though, as Jesus watched him go, he told his disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through a, ne- through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter, the God- enter God's kingdom. And the disciples were staggered. Then who has any chance at all? And Jesus looked at them hard and said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. This is a really interesting story uh, about this, this rich young man. And the, the, the word of niceness that I have for you out of this, because it seems like it's a very sad verse, but the, the word of encouragement is, if you aren't rich, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. If you're someone who doesn't deal with the struggle of having tons and tons of money, well, congratulations. You have one less stumbling block to get you into heaven. Because it says it's very hard for those people who have a lot of money to get into heaven because it's easy for them to trust onto that instead of Jesus. So if you don't, congratulations this morning. Uh, celebrate with me. Yay! I'm in the same spot you are. But here's the deal. The money wasn't the issue with this, this rich young man. And I think that's what most people go into is they think, why would Jesus tell him to sell all his possessions? Was there something wrong with him having money? And no, it wasn't wrong with this man having money. There's nothing wrong with having money. But what Jesus saw in this man wasn't the fact that he had a lot of money. It was that that was his very center and focus. That was what he was trusting and holding on to for his own salvation. His money was what he was depending on to get him through his life. And I still think in his his head, he was figuring that because he was a rich man, someday he could buy his way into heaven. And that's not the case. And that's why Jesus pinpointed that for him. People say money is the root of all that kills, but it's it's really not true. Um, In 1 Timothy 6.10, and you guys don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. It says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now listen to that. Some people would read that and say, say it's talking about money being evil, but, but listen again how the verse starts. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What does it say? It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is that incessant drive to get more of it. The love of money isn't just the fact of, of the dollars and cents, but it's, it's of, of looking like something. 
It's of accomplishing something. It's of standing out and maybe looking better than someone. That love of, of your status, of what you can have, of what you can buy, of what you can drive, of what you can live in. That love of money. And it says, man, when people get in love with money, it causes all sorts of problems. It leads them to do things they wouldn't normally do. It causes them to break up. I mean, real quick for you guys, I don't know if you've seen this, but have you ever noticed one of the number one things that drives families apart later on in life is when the parents die and they have to separate up the money? Have you ever seen that? I've seen it in tons of different families. I was just talking, I'm on the fire department, I was talking to a guy, and one of the guys who was the fire chief, I said, is that so-and-so? And they said, no, that's his brother, because I knew his last name. And he says, well, don't call him his brother's name. I said, why is that? And he says, they don't get along. And it all started since their, their father died, and they had to start separating up money. That's where problems come from. And it's funny, isn't it? When, when money, that love of money comes, it makes you do things you don't even want to do. You wouldn't turn your back on family members, but people start doing it. The problem, though, with just working harder and budgeting and spending smarter is that it fixes a problem, but it doesn't fix a cause. See, a lot of people are in debt. A lot of people have money management problems, and they figure the idea is to try to manage my money better, um, to be able to, to work down my debt, and that's great. That's fixing the problem, because the problem's poor money management and, and that, that debt. But the problem is, is just fixing that problem doesn't mean it won't just come back. The whole problem might just come back in, in a year, in five years, in ten years, because at the, at the root of that problem is a cause, and it's a lack of contentment. See, to take and, and just simply rebudget and, and change how we do things and, and, and change our spending habits, that's like cutting the head off a dandelion, which is great. Your yard looks good for a little bit, but how many of you guys take care of a yard? How long does it take for that dandelion to be back? A few days, right? That sucker shoots up again. There it is. You can cut off the head of it in a couple days. It's back up again. See, because we're not dealing with the root. We can cut off that manifestation of, of debt and bad money habits, but at the root of that problem is a lack of contentment with where we are at. If we invite God into the center of our finances and ask him to help change our heart, we can get down to that very root of the problem, that lack of contentment. Jesus can help us show us that, that money will not equal happiness for long. Let me be honest with you, okay? Money can equal happiness for a little while. Have you guys ever ridden a jet ski? I did this last year. I did, and it was expensive. But let me tell you, for a day, I was on cloud nine. I took, I was riding a jet ski, and I decided that I could, I figured I could top the sucker out and just bounce across the tops of these waves, right? And it was, it was glorious. It was like Baywatch, right? Just <laughs> bouncing. Until some weird phantom chop catches. You bounce over the wave and then hit the bottom of the wave and then you hit the next wave, and that sucker just goes sideways on you. And my mom can attest, I went this way, and the jet ski went that way. And I shot about 20 feet in the air and tumbled and landed. I got up and lost my $100 pair of Oakleys. And you know what I said? That was awesome! It was the one time I could lose a $100 pair of glasses and still be smiling, because I was so, like, it was plastered on my face from riding a jet ski. So people who say, well, you know, money can't buy happiness, well, they haven't ridden a jet ski yet. That's probably the problem. But no, <laughs> money, listen to me, money can buy happiness, but only for a short time. It can't buy it forever. It can buy a momentary happiness. It can buy a high. It can buy a good day. 
but money can't buy happiness in the long run. That's the problem. It can do it for a short period of time. I want to share with you two quick verses, okay? The first is in Luke, and it's Luke 12, 15, and it says this. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed, because life is not measured by how much you own. I think that really is true, and, and we want to try to make it about how much we can get. We talked about that when we talked about guys, right? You guys who are here for my authentic man uh, talk about how people, the guys try to judge themselves by how much they can own, how much they can get. And in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says this, and I love the way it says this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. It's true. Really, when, when you start getting money, I don't know if you've met people who start getting more and more money and wealth accumulated. It's never enough. People who make $20,000 want $25,000. People who make $25,000 want $30,000. People who have $30,000, man, they're in love with the people who make $40,000, and so on and so forth. You know what's interesting about that? If you take and you look at debt, okay, and you look at budgeting, what's crazy is this. People are in debt who make $20,000 a year. People are in debt who make $120,000 a year. Isn't that crazy? Someone who makes $100,000 more than this other person is still in debt because they're not content. They want more, more, more than they can afford. So what does a real what does a real solution, not a resolution in this circumstance look like? If you step out in your faith and you ask God, God, I need you to come into my finances because they aren't straight. I need you to help me out. This is what I think a few of these things will actually look like. And I want to break it down for you. I mean just real straight and legit, because I can talk all super spiritual, but the idea is what would really happen if you let God into your finances? And that's what I want to share with you, okay? And you guys, if you want to take notes, and if you guys are note takers, you can write them down, or if you want to, you can go back. If you want me to, you can come give me your email, and I can send you the points if you want them to actually look over them in the future, okay? But here's a few things I think are going to happen if you actually ask God into your finances. First and foremost, I think you're going to ask for help, because see, what's natural for us is if we have debt and we have financial problems, is to say, well, that's my debt, that's my financial problems. No one needs to know about that. And that's pride. And that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. When we have problems in our life, if we can keep them hidden and guarded, he can just keep beating us up. The enemy can just keep beating us up and dragging us deeper into what we have problems with. But when we admit to people that we have a problem in a circumstance, well, then people can help us out. Then people can keep us accountable. And see, if you ask God into your finances, and if you have these problems, the first thing it's going to do is, is God is going to move you past your shame or past your embarrassment or past your pride and say, you need to share this with somebody else. You need to get this off your chest and say, I do have a problem. I need help. There's friends, family, there's professionals who can really, really help you. There's programs like Financial Peace University, if you guys haven't checked it out. Amazing program that Dave Ramsey uh, made, and it's all about like real legit setting out how to budget and, and asking God into your finances. Even that, even if you just want to do it on your own, there's, there's resources online that you can get to that can help you out, can pinpoint, you know, what are some things that you need to be looking at? Can you look at your finances and say, where am I overspending? Where am I doing this? I'm doing that this year with my own, with my own finances. I've, I've kept track slightly, but I realize I don't know all of where my money goes, and I'm doing that. I went online and found a place that helps you take in and lay out what are, what are good budgets for how much you spend on a house, how much you spend on utilities, how much you spend on entertainment. And there's cool information that you can get if you si- finally get out of your, your, your pride or your, your fear or shame and say, I do need help on this. I need some real assistance. 
It says this in, uh, in Proverbs 15, 22. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. That can really be applied to pretty much any area of our life. Plans very often go wrong because we don't invite anyone else. We just make our idea and go with it. The problem is there's a lot of people who have figured stuff out better than we have. If we're not so prideful, they can help us. I, I forget who said it. Um, you know, someone can look it up for me, but th- there's an old quote that says, learn from other people's mistakes because you won't live long enough to make them all yourself. And it's the truth. Sometimes you've got to take someone else's word for it. I don't need to make the same mistake and, and go deeper into it than, than I, I need to because I can learn from someone else's mistake and say, this is obviously not a good idea. Second thing I think will happen is that when you ask God into your finances, I believe he will bring contentment into your finances. He'll bring contentment. What will happen is that you'll start to see things a little different on what you have. Hebrews 13, 5. It says this, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. What happens when you ask God into your finances is not that you're going to miraculously get more, but you're going to start becoming okay with what you have. See, that same problem that I said where people who are $100,000 or they're $20,000, whatever, they're all in debt, it comes from the fact that they want more. And the problem is, is these people can't differentiate from what they want and what they need. And when you let God into your finances, what I believe starts to happen is God starts to show you really just how amazingly blessed you are. Because it's easy for us to look at someone else and say, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. But you know what's weird? Is very often as humans, we don't look at people and say, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. Here's what I mean. It's easy to look at somebody and say, I don't have their car. I don't have their house. I don't have their clothes. But we need to also remember that we can look at people's life and say, I don't have cancer. I don't have sickness. I don't have a split up family. I don't have tremendous amounts of debt right now. And that contentment begins to come where you realize, actually, I'm really, really blessed with where I stand today. There's a lot of things that could be a lot worse in my life today. Even when times get hard, we can look and realize, man, my life could be a lot harder. There's people who've dealt with a lot worse and I'm blessed that I have what I have. I think God begins to kind of give us that mindset because when we, when we operate in the world, the world's all about bigger and better and brighter. And you'll constantly live like that. But when you let God be part of it, I believe he can change it. I believe the same thing is true for our hearts. <clears throat> and obviously when I'm talking about all this stuff with, with letting God into your, into your circumstances. One of the biggest things that I always want to share with you guys is the idea of letting God into our lives. And we realize that most of us go through this life always seeking something better, always seeking more, more excitement, more this. But what happens is sooner or later we realize that comes up short. And I want to always remind you guys the fact that Jesus is that answer. Jesus is that answer to contentment in our life. I've done it. I've tried to live for my own, my own, sa- my own satisfaction, and you know what happens is, is it still feels empty and hollow because it's not where we're meant to live as, as Christians, as, as humans. All of us who are put here on earth, we're meant to live connected to God. And you know what? When you get to that point, because maybe today isn't the day, but when you get to that point where you realize I'm not satisfied with who I am, with where I am, it's because you need to turn back to Jesus and you need to reconnect with him and ask him into your life. And that's what brings that satisfaction, what life is actually supposed to be about. 
Third thing I think will happen when you let God into your finances is this. You'll begin to bless God with your finances. This one's really cool. Basically, when, when God gets to be part of your finances, your finances will get to be more like God. Very cool idea. And two big things come into this, and, and basically they're, they're tithing and generosity. And this has to do with our finances once we let God be part of them. Tithing, I don't know if you guys, how Bible literate you are. Either way, it's cool. Tithing is this age-old practice of giving God 10% of your income. That's a pretty big deal. And basically, you're supposed to give it right off the top. When you get your finance, you take 10% right out, and you give it to God. Oh, this, is, this is pretty hardcore, but this has actually been established all the way since back at the beginning of the Bible. People like to say tithing is obviously something that churches nowadays has come up with to try to get finance, and it's not the case, actually. Tithing goes all the way back to way before the law, and it actually stayed around all the way after Jesus. Um, 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul's talking to uh, the Corinthian church, and he says, on the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there for you to try to collect it. He's talking about when he comes to come and bring in and collect this, this finance because what he was doing is he's like the dude who set up the churches. He'd collect this money and he'd give it to the poor and these people in other areas. So he said, well, start setting this aside as you go because when I get there, I want to be able to take this money and go bless people with it. The idea, though, is, is this. Is people think that tithing is about trying to get God rich, and it's not. People think that it's about churches needing finance, and it's not. It's really not. People would think that the reason why you need to tithe is so the church continues so a pastor can get a paycheck, but that's really not it. I want to tell you, God has all the money in the world. He has all the money in the world. This church here, Acts Church, it's all supported by God. And he'll take and he'll make ways. We've had people who've walked out. We had the per- one of the people who was given the most of the church walk out on like the fourth week of church here. God continues to provide. It's his church. Get this, the idea of tithing isn't so that God can come be, become rich, so church can become rich. It's so you can break your love and addiction to money. That's why tithing is invented. I wholeheartedly believe the reason why God instituted a tithe was to get us to remember that this money isn't ours. To get us to take that first 10% and give it back to God and realize I wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for God. That's why I believe God started talking about the tithe. It was that we took that finance that we got, man, and it really doesn't matter what it is. If if you were, back in the day, if if you literally had like oranges, if you had 10 oranges, it was taking one and giving it back and saying, I wouldn't have any of these if it wasn't for you, God. That was the idea, and I think that it stays the exact same till today. It's not about making God rich. It's about us breaking our connection with money and realizing it's not that 10% is God's. Really, all of it belongs to him. I woke up this morning and breathed air I didn't create. I drove a car with gas that I didn't put the minerals in the earth hundreds of thousands or millions, depending on what your belief is, years ago to create the gas that I used to drive. I come here and I spoke with vocal cords that I, don't, I didn't create. These, these are, it, we're using God-amazing gifts to be able to do what we do, and we're blessed with what we have. I want to tell you this, though. It's tough. It's tough to trust God with finances because we think that we can do a better job with it. And I want to share with you at a very, very deep level this. Even me, as the pastor of this church, as we started going into the beginning, at the end of this year, and everything started getting crazy, I even lost track of my tithe. Me, the pastor of this church. I lost track of my tithe for about three weeks where I was so focused on other stuff with my money that I forgot to give God his 10%. It's hard, and it's difficult. 
Now, if you guys know, but I'm bivocational. I work, and then I also do this. Basically, I work on Act Stuff all night. And it's hard because at times you realize, I have no money. I have none. And it's hard to write a check for 10% of your income. And at the beginning of this year, I realized that I had gotten out of rhythm. And just this last week, I took and made back up all my tithe, realizing the fact that I'm, I'm blessed to have what I do. And if I start holding this stuff back, what I'm going to do is, is <clears throat> I'm going to really cut God out of this. And that's not what I want to do. But I want to offer you this. Don't feel as if you need to jump all into this. People talk about tithing. People say, well, you need to do it right now. And it can be really, really tough. Depending on what your financial situation is, it can be tough. And what I want to issue is this, and, and maybe some people wouldn't agree with this, but I believe that you can start small. Start with 1%. And start giving God just a small percentage of your income and saying, God, I want to give something back to you. And let God take care of it and increase it. I don't think you need to jump all in and say, God, I want to give you 10% and, and, and be, be part of the tithe. If that's something that God would tell you to do, that's awesome. But what I mean is, is you can start with 1%. You can start with just giving $5. I don't know what your finances is. It could be half a percent. But start with something and say, God, I want to give you part of what I made back because I believe you're blessing it. Help build my faith so that I could someday get to 10%. And I believe God's going to do it. I believe he'll help you out and get to that point. Don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it out of fear, and don't do it out of a thought that you can somehow buy God's blessing, because that's not the point. The point is to remove our connection with money and realize that this money isn't mine, it's God's. If you notice, we don't pass an offering plate here. Um, I don't know if we will in the future, I'm not saying we won't, but right now we decided we're not going to do it. At the back of the room, on these two tables, on the left-hand side, there's a bucket, and there's envelopes there, and if any one of you guys want to give any time, you can feel free to go ahead and drop something in there. And that's fine. Not saying we won't pass a bucket in the future. Who knows? I really don't know yet. I don't have all the answers. I'm basically just, you know, guessing here. So just hang out with me for a while, right? But we leave it in the background now because we don't want people to feel pressured. Because especially when people, when you guys first come in, you guys don't need to be bringing time. People come in sometimes as visitors and they're thinking, should I bring money? No. No, you shouldn't bring money. You're visiting. You shouldn't be bringing money and giving it to us. You need to get connected and see, is, is this something that I really, I'm really believing in? Because when you really care about something, you start spending money on it, right? Guys, holler, finances, girls. Yeah, exactly. When you start caring about something, your pocketbook shows it. You give when God leads you to give, okay? If you feel like it's, it's time to start giving something, go ahead. But don't let me pressure you. Don't let other people pressure you. Let God talk to you, okay? And when you feel like I need to start giving some finances, go ahead. And like I said, you don't have to jump all in. The second thing I think will happen with that, though, is that generosity. And see, generosity is, is, is past the tithe even. People think that people who give their tithe, that they would be in, a, in one place and you're in another place if you're not tithing. No, generosity is about giving beyond that. It's about giving, giving stuff that you don't have to give. It's just about blessing people. And I think as God gets in, involved with your finances, what you'll realize is you're more blessed than you think you are. And you'll see opportunities where you can bless people. And it could be small things. It could be buying someone a cup of coffee. It could be lending someone $5 and not asking for it back. It could be small little things. But I think God will start bringing in your heart a heart of generosity where you, you aren't so stingy. And it's not that you need to give all your money away and be broke. That's not the case either. But there's times when we can be a little bit generous with what we have. Maybe instead of buying another dinner for ourselves, we say, you know, I know somebody who could actually use a dinner. Maybe I should give that, that money to them. 
And when God starts bringing that generosity in your heart, it'll start changing other people's lives too. Get this, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to talk about a whole message on this in the future because I love it. Generosity does double damage. It's awesome. If I have $5 and I spend $5 on me, that $5 accomplished, $5. If I have $5 and I give $5 away, they spend it on $5, and that $5 accomplished, $10. $5 of me giving away generosity and $5 of them being able to purchase something. You double the value of that money when you're generous with it, when it's given away as a gift. But generosity is a win-win, and we need to be helping out. There's people who are, who are much worse off than us. And you know what? Last night, which is really kind of crazy, I was, I was praying about this message, and I went to bed. And at about 3.30 in the morning, I was woke up, and I heard from God this. Feed those who are poor. Strange. I don't get these very often. I don't get things like that very often. Feed those who are poor. And you know what? I think, I think it's a reminder for us as a church. And I want to make a promise to you guys because I heard last night that we're going to do a better job as a church trying to feed those who are poor in our area. We have people who are really, really on hard times in our area. You look at LaSalle, there's people who really, really have struggles. People who have, say, drug problems and they spend all their money on drugs. And I know that sounds terrible for a church to be funding that, but people who are starving need food. And if we can give them food to be able to help at a time when they, when they don't, our church needs to be there. So I want to promise to you guys that we're going to do a better job. We're going to look into ways to be able to feed those who are hungry in our area. Last but definitely not least, when you start letting God into your finances, it's this. You'll see God provide when you can't. This is the part that everyone wants to hear about, right? And when I started talking, when I said I wouldn't want to talk about finances and, and, and this, this is the reality. I'd be a liar if I left this out too. Just as much as I'd be a liar if I didn't tell you about your finances and how you need to bless God with it, I'd be a liar if I left this part out of it too. I believe that when you start letting God into your finances, he'll provide in ways that we can't, at times that we can. Amazing things can happen. There's this verse in Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And in Malachi 3.10, it says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do says the Lord of the, uh, Lord of the heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is like one of the only times in the Bible we see God asking us to test him. And he says, if you start letting me in your finances and you start blessing people, you start giving a tithe or you start at least trying to give that tithe, he says, I promise you what I'll start doing is I'll start blessing you. What it means is this, I believe that God can do more with 90% in my finances than he could if I had 100%. Miraculously, God can make that 90% go farther than if I kept 100% for myself. Because by that, by that word, which I know is true, he says that I'll open up blessings. I don't know what it's going to be, if it's, it's how he saves me money, if it's how he, he blocks stuff out. You know, sometimes I wonder, we think like, you know, well, I haven't seen anything, but like sometimes bad things haven't happened, Right? I haven't been devastatingly sick or my car hasn't broke down. And those would be ways that maybe God is helping me out and saving me money that really I would have already spent it all anyway. We start trusting God with our finances. I believe he can do more. He really can. But not only that, but sometimes he can provide at times when we can't. And I've heard this time and time again. Talk to people who are believers and you'll hear amazing stories about times in which there was nothing. And God provided at that last minute. God stepped in, and he took and he sent a check, or he made someone lend, lend some extra money. 
awesome stuff like that will happen in your life. When you start letting God be part of your finances, at times when you say, I can't, that's when God has power and he steps in and says, I can. That's biblical. He talks about when we're weak, he's strong. I believe that if we let God into our finances, we begin trusting him to help us shape our mindset in a way that's God-honoring, that someday when we can't with our finances, he can and he will. Just to wrap this up, at the beginning of this year, if you're saying you want to do something different with your finances, I petition you to drop the resolution and instead take a real solution. To not just try to do harder, work better, budget better, spend smarter, but also to say, God, I want you involved with my finances this year. I want you to change my mindset. I want you to help me spend it wisely. And maybe even it's this morning you say, you know what, I'm going to start I'm going to start trying to give back to you, God, because you have blessed me. I'm going to start trying to be generous. And if you want God to be able to step into your finances and change what this next year can look like, you can do it this morning. I also want to re- just always offer the real solution to our life. And if this morning you're far away from God and you realize I have no relationship with Jesus and you say, I need that real solution for my life, I want to always offer that to you on Sunday morning. Anyone who says, I'm far away from God, I need to be close, you can always come talk to me after service because I'd love to pray with you and invite Jesus to be part of your life. Um, I don't think you'd mind it at all, James, if I shared real quick. Just last week, James came up here after service and asked Jesus into his life and gave his life to Jesus. Absolutely. (laughs) Worth worth celebrating completely because when we get to a place where we realize, I need Jesus in my life, Man, awesome things can start happening. And I know that's going to happen for James in these next coming weeks, months, years, whatever, and his family. God's going to start doing crazy stuff because when you let God be part of your life, amazing things start happening. I want to close today by not taking an offering because <laughs> many places who talk about finance would immediately say, let's take an offering. That's not the point. You know what? If you don't normally give, I don't want you to give this Sunday because I don't want you to give out of out of my petition. I don't want you to give out of feeling like I'm condemning you because that's not what I'm saying, okay? If you don't normally give this morning, please don't. Please don't give. Come back next week, and if God's telling you that he wants you to give financially, that's awesome. But don't do it because I said it. Don't do it because someone next to you does it. Do it because God wants you to, and that's when God will start blessing you, okay? I want to do this. I want to pray to finish, and what I want to do is is I want us all to um, close our eyes, okay? And what I just want to do is as I start to pray here, what I want you guys to do is if this morning, because I know finances can be kind of an embarrassing thing, and you'll have to work on this in this next year. If you say this morning, I want God to be invited into my finances, okay? Everyone's eyes closed, looking down. I want you just to lift up your hand and look at me. Look at me in the eyes, okay? Awesome. Lots of hands, okay? You can go ahead and put them down. What I want to do this morning is I want to pray. And if you raise your hand this morning, God's going to come in and he's going to start changing stuff. And when you welcome God, he always steps in. It says that when we seek him, he seeks us. When we step forward, he steps forward. So when we raise our hand, when we do those things in obedience and say, God, I want you to, he will, okay? Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. And God, these people who have, who have said this morning, I need you to step in on my finances. I want you to be part of my finances this next year. God, I know right now that you're stepping into it. God, that you're going to step into spiritually, into their own lives, into their checkbooks, into how they're going to manage this money. I pray to you, God, that you're going to help them. 
and you're going to help them in a way that they can, they can manage it better so they can bless their family better, Lord, and so they can start to bless this earth, so they can start to bless you, God, with their finances. I pray to you, Lord Jesus, that you would just help them to be able to get debt under control, um, to get spending under control. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that as they give to you, you would continue to bless them, God. Lord, as they begin to give, if they give finances, if they start to tithe, or even just a partial tithe, Lord, that you'll begin to bless them and show them that when they trust you with their finances, you are worthy of their trust, that you bless them back. So Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for this morning. I pray that you bless each and every one of us, and um, God, just continue to keep us, keep us safe, Lord God, but bring us back next week. Keep us dangerous this week, too, God. Let us change this world that we're in. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.